0: alter the reality that we see. Often what we see or hear we deem as true. Our perspective has been shaped by our experiences, what has been taught, the places we've been or the world that is presented. What if the reality we've been told to believe wasn't true? This affects how we answer questions like, Where did everything come from? Who am I? What is my purpose? When the lights go out, is it for good? You may only hold a fragment of the truth of the world instead of the full story of reality. Well, Good morning, church. Uh, Good to see so many of you here on this 4th of July weekend. If you're not with us, if you're watching at home, we're glad that you're uh, you're with us as well today. Um, It certainly has been a toasty week, hasn't it? (laughs) Of course, except for this weekend. It decided to cool down in time for the 4th of July. Uh, So we're thankful for that. Um, If you're new with us this morning, we just completed a study on the book of Hebrews, and we are launching into a new series that we're calling The Story of Reality, Navigating Today's Worldview Divide. Now, this series, I think, is timely because I believe, really, one of the most important things Christians can do today is understand their own worldview and the, the worldview of those that are around us. Because have you ever had a conversation with someone that you, and you felt like, in the midst of that conversation, you were using the same words, but you were meaning something totally different? Or or you were were approaching a similar issue from two completely different perspectives, and it felt like in the course of that conversation, you and the other person were living really in a different reality. Now, why is that? Why do we feel that way? Well, I, I think... At least part of the reason is we spend much of our time around people that agree with us, or we listen to sources that we agree with. We, we sometimes can live in an echo chamber, right, right? Take cable news as an example, right? If you turn on any of the major networks on any given night, you will get a different spin or an emphasis on the news on that evening. You get a certain narrative from each different source, and a second reason is that we allow the media that we consume to nudge us in certain directions. So I'll, I'll offer this example as well. Has anybody ever seen the Netflix show Stranger Things? Right? It's, it's one of Netflix's most famous, most popular shows that's out there. It's due for a fourth season in the coming year. Uh, the show takes place in a small town called Hawkins, Indiana, uh, during the 1980s. So, if you love 1980s pop culture, this show is going to really uh, hit you where you want it to hit you. Um, if you grew up in that area, you'll love those pop culture references. Now, the main characters are a group of adolescent children who fend off monsters from a separate dimension known as the Upside Down. There's many supernatural elements in the show. In fact, This is how one character describes this upside-down dimension. He says this. He says, It's a dimension that is a dark reflection or an echo of our world. It's a place of death and decay, a plane out of phase, a place of monsters. It is right next to you, and you do not even see it. Now, that sounds like something like right out of Ephesians 6, where Paul talks about the supernatural demonic realm. But when these kids are confronting the upside down and the monsters that it produces, where do the kids go for advice if you watch the show? Do they go to spiritual advisors? No, they run right to their their middle school science teacher. So they confront this supernatural problem with a naturalistic solution, and if you're watching the show, what's the message that you're taking away? There's no such thing as the supernatural. Science can explain everything. But is that true? True. Or is that just an example of a type of worldview that the show is putting out there trying to explain reality? Now, Stranger Things is not the only show that does this. All shows do this. Everything you watch, every song you listen to, every article you read is putting forth a view of the world, and they're trying to influence influence us. They're trying to explain or tell the story of reality. However, often, people only have a piece of the puzzle. So let me show you a picture that would help illustrate this. This right here um, is a unicorn puzzle. Yes, I know it's a unicorn puzzle. It's a puzzle. It's my daughter's puzzle that she puts together and takes apart every single night. Right before bed, she's going to say something like, Daddy, I want to do my unicorn puzzle. And she, and she has done this many times, and inevitably, as she's putting this puzzle together, she's going to stop and she's going to say, "Ugh, Daddy, I need help getting the bigger picture. I need help putting it all together. And so I'll help her find the last pieces so she can complete the puzzle and get to the big picture. And then she's going to take it apart, and she's going to want to do it again the next night. World views are like puzzles, as you can see from our set pieces behind me. There's a number of different pieces that we need to fit together in order to get to a coherent whole, in order to see the big picture. And to put a worldview together, a full picture of a worldview, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes thought, and it takes faith. Otherwise, as you heard in the opening video, you're just going to get a fragment of the bigger picture, now, sadly, I think when it comes to worldview, most people do not exert the effort to put the whole puzzle together. We are satisfied many times with having just a piece of the puzzle. And see, So here's what it's like with people in our world. Here's another puzzle, a big floor puzzle box I have with me here. And what we do is, again, we're satisfied with just having a piece of this puzzle. We open up the box And instead of taking all these puzzle pieces out and putting them together in a coherent whole, what we do is we just dump the box out, and the puzzle pieces are just scattered all over the floor, and we say, ah, like my daughter, it's too hard, we're going to pick up two pieces and put them together, and then we're going to build our whole worldview on just a piece of the puzzle. We scatter those pieces all over the floor, we pick up one, two, maybe three pieces, and we build our whole view of the world based on that fragment. For many of us, our worldviews are like pieces all over the floor, and so then you can see why people have a hard time communicating with each other, because we're all holding just a piece of the bigger picture of reality. So look back at this puzzle of the unicorn, right? If, if I only had the section of this puzzle that had stars in it, you, what, what, what would you surmise from the whole picture? you you would know maybe the puzzle is taking place in outer space but you wouldn't know much else about it or if you just had the piece of the puzzle that showed like the unicorn's head you would know well a unicorn is involved but you didn't know much else about the puzzle it's only when you see the whole puzzle the whole picture of reality put it together that's when you can see the whole and again, this is why we talk past each other. We're often looking at different pieces of the puzzle without seeing the big picture. And so in a sense, it is really like we're living in, in a different reality. Now, you might say, Pastor Bob, why does this matter? Why, do, why does your daughter's puzzle matter? Why do puzzle pieces on the ground? Why does it matter? It matters tremendously. Because if, again, if you want to understand the breakdown that's going on in our world, it comes down to a conversation and understanding of worldview. Do you know why? Do you know, this is why it matters. In the words of Dr. Vodi Bauckham, we behave in accordance with what we believe. This isn't just a theoretical thing. We behave in accordance with what we believe. In other words, your behavior, how you live in this world, is a direct result of what you believe, not what you say you believe, but what you really and truly believe and that motivates you every single day. And if your view of the world is based only on one piece of the puzzle and not the whole picture, you're probably going to have some faulty beliefs about reality that are influencing the way that you live every single day. Now, the Apostle Paul knew this really well, right? In fact, he wrote a whole letter to a church in a city called Colossae. He wrote a letter to them about the faulty beliefs that were coming into the church Now, in the course of this series, we're going to be looking at many uh, themes and sections of Colossians, and today I want to draw your attention to just a few verses in chapter 2 of Paul's letter. This is what he writes. He says, my goal is that they may, this is the church, they may understand in heart, be, be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God. Namely, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Now, again, he's writing to combat false teachers and heretical teaching in the church. And what does he say? He says, I want to encourage you to what? To have the full riches, to have complete understanding Not partial understanding, complete understanding. Not a piece of the puzzle, but the whole puzzle. Why? So that you may know Jesus Christ, in whom are hidden all the the wisdom, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, do you see how that verse says something about our understanding of reality? Because when you know Jesus Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge come together. And when you know Jesus Christ deeply and fully, you will not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. So the, the question when you read a verse like that is really, do I believe that? Do I really believe, verse 2, do I believe that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Because here is my concern, and just, just pastorally I would say, um, and even looking at myself sometimes... Many Christians don't functionally believe this, right? We pay lip service to Christ, but our view of the world is shaped more by cultural narratives than the gospel. That just because you attend church, just because you read your Bible, just because you listen to Christian music does not necessarily mean that you have a Christian view of the world. Now, they may help, right? Of course, read your Bible, listen to music. That's that's good, but I often find that Christians can be more influenced again by those cultural narratives than scriptural truth. So ask yourself this question Do you spend more time binge watching shows on Netflix or cable news than reading the Bible if you really stack up the hours? Because those shows are putting forth a, a worldview. Are you able to quote the lyrics of your favorite popular song, but not a single passage of scripture? Because, again, those songs are putting forth a world view. They might have a piece of the puzzle, but they miss the big picture. In fact, statistics are telling us that younger generations are less and less likely to be biblically literate. In fact, I just saw the other day a study that said only 4% of millennials actually have a biblical worldview. And yet, we're living in a complex world where we need an extra measure of discernment on how to navigate it. Because we behave in accordance with what we believe. Worldview matters. Now, my task for the rest of this message is really to answer the question, what is a worldview? What is a worldview? And we have two goals for this entire series. The first goal is this. We want to call Christians to reflect on their own worldview, to ask, is it really biblical? And is my behavior matching what I believe? And then secondly, we also hope to equip you to uh, have conversations, and to love people who hold a different worldview than, than you. Because ultimately, we should be pointing people to the better story of the Bible. Because everyone in this world is trying to answer life's ultimate question, and that, uh, questions. And that's how we're structuring this series around five of life's ultimate questions that confront everyone, whether you're a Christian or not. And the question, there's questions of origins. Where did everything come from? There's questions of identity, who am I? Questions of meaning, why am I here? Morality, how should I live? Destiny, what happens when I die? Everyone in this room, everyone at home, if you're listening right now or you're listening later on, we're all answering these questions. But the deeper question is, do those questions and my answers to them match up with reality? Reality. So let's discuss three points today, quickly, as we go through this, as we open up. The first thing we're going to look at is what a worldview is. The second thing we want to look at is where a worldview leads. And then finally, we're going to end with a quick encouragement to believe the better story. Let me pray for us as we dive in today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for my friends that are with us here, those that are watching at home, those that are listening later on. I pray right now, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, that you would move us closer to you, Lord God, to understand that the gospel tells a better story, a story that answers all of life's biggest questions, Lord. And so may, may, we, be, um, may we be motivated today to look at ourselves and live in accordance with what you've laid out for us. In your revealed truth in Scripture, we ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so first, I've been discussing this concept of worldview, and it probably would be helpful if I give you a solid definition of what a worldview is. So hold on to that image of the puzzle, because I think it's going to make a little more sense after I put this out there. Um, James Sire, in his excellent book, The Universe Next Door, defines worldview this way. He says, a worldview is a commitment, a fundamental orientation of the heart that can be expressed as a story or a set of propositions, which are assumptions that may be true, they may be partially true, or entirely false, right? You could be basing your worldview on something that's totally false, uh, that we hold, either consciously or subconsciously, consistently or inconsistently. Uh, your worldview may also be inconsistent. And uh, about the basic constitution of reality, and that provides the foundation on which we live and move and have our being. Okay, so that is a, that's a great definition. That's really thorough, but it's also really academic. So let me just put it in layman's terms. A worldview is your picture of reality. It 's how you interpret the world, so if I give you an illustration that goes beyond the puzzle, a worldview is like glasses right i've been uh, I've been wearing glasses for a number of years. I can see without my glasses, but when I put them on, everything becomes sharper. I can read words at a distance, I can see definitions of leaves on a tree without my glasses, everything is unfocused to some extent, and I could I could actually mistake something close up if I'm farsighted or something far away if I'm I'm nearsighted. Because here's the truth. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a worldview. Everybody sitting in here today, you have some kind of worldview that you are living out. And our view of the world is shaped by many, many factors, our family, where we were born, the era in which we live, the circumstances that happen to us. We develop a so-called philosophy of life. And it's unique to human beings, right? Because each of us is made in the image of a God. We, because we're made in the image of God, we demand, we want an explanation to life's biggest questions. Like, why am I here? Where, why is there suffering? What happens when I die? That's unique to human beings. Now, if you're a dog lover out there, Maybe your dog right now is sitting at home, or maybe if you're at home, your dog is sitting next to you. Dogs are great. I love dogs too. But I guarantee you that your dog right now is not sitting at home licking, you know, his paws and, or eating his food and contemplating his dogness. He's not sitting there and saying, bark, bark, bark. Why am I here? Why am I a dog? He's not doing that. It is unique to human beings. We want reasons. We want to answer these questions. Everyone has a worldview, and again, the big question we have to ask is, does my worldview represent reality, or am I basing it on faulty assumptions, just a piece of the puzzle? And again, my contention is that many people live life grasping at a bunch of scattered pieces on the ground. We're pulling them up. We're trying to see what's going on in the world, and we're just getting a bunch of random pieces of reality and trying to make sense of what's going on. Most people pick up elements of the truth or untruth, and we never actually complete the puzzle, because when we develop a worldview, when we complete the puzzle, we put our beliefs into a coherent, consistent whole. But when we do that, we get to a very important second truth, and that's this. Ideas have consequences. Ideas have consequences. When we develop a worldview, especially if it's not based in reality, it can lead us down the wrong path. Now, just this last week, I was watching, I came upon an article that reminded me that this, this last Thursday, July 1st, marked the 100th anniversary of the establishment of the Chinese Communist Party. Now, communism as an idea has had devastating consequences over the past century. They have a worldview, right? And this is the legacy of the CCP. It's, it's millions of abortions due to a one-child policy, it's oppression of Uyghur Muslims in a certain section of the country, it's the development and exportation of a terrifying surveillance state, and it's the suppression of religious freedom. And if you look back over the course of history, whenever communism has reared its head, people have died. Millions of people have died. Ideas have consequences. And so Nancy, author Nancy Piercy makes this correct observation about the effects of worldview. She says worldviews are not the same as formal philosophy. Right? So you don't have to be a formal philosophizer to come up with this. Otherwise, it would only be for the professional people. Every, Even ordinary people have a set of convictions about how reality functions and how they should live. That's why it's important. It's a great summation right there. She's basically saying this is, what a world, this is what we need to take away from worldview. Everybody has it, right? We use it to explain reality, and it is the basis for life's big decisions. That's a summation of worldview. And if ideas have consequences, you can see why worldview is important. Good ideas lead to human flourishing. Bad ideas lead to human suffering. So this then is why the Apostle Paul challenges the Colossian church to seek wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ, whom he already has said is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of creation. He is the one who's telling the true story of reality. And if we ground ourselves in Christ, we will reject those fine-sounding but false arguments. So Paul continues in verse 6 and 7 of chapter 2. He says this, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So, remember the context of these verses. Paul is warning the Colossians not to be deceived by false teaching. And so, he's exhorting them, he's pleading with them to be discerning about the ideas they are receiving. And so in this context, what he's talking about is a dangerous idea derived from local Jewish folk beliefs, which revolved around a form of angel worship. Paul encourages the Colossian believers to reject this false worldview and instead ground themselves in Christ. So that word rooted recalls the image of a tree. And if you've been around NBC for a while, the tree is a really popular image around here because trees sink their roots deep down in the ground and it makes them hard to move. He says you need to be built up, which has the image of a building coming together, meaning the church, the body of Christ is grounded in the gospel and builds one another up so we can impact the world. But also note that their faith was strengthened by what they were what? What they were taught what they were taught. In other words, he says, you know the truth, don't abandon it, let it impact every single area of your life. And the practical outgrowth of what you've been taught is thankfulness. So to sum up what Paul said here, he says, a Christian worldview is developed when the gospel of Jesus Christ changes the hearts of a believer, and then we receive correct teaching about the world, and then we ground our lives so deep in him that it affects Every single part of how we live. In other words, our worldview shapes how we live. But in our modern world, it often works the opposite way, and it looks a bit like this. This comes from the book Making Sense of Our World by John Stone Street, and the image is called Living Backwards. This is not how a worldview is supposed to work, but often it does, because in this paradigm, basically our, beh- our behavior drives everything. Our behavior then influences our values, and then those values trickle down to influence our view of the world. So just to, just to be practical, this is the person who sleeps with whoever they want and then justifies that behavior by making it fit into a worldview narrative. right? This is the person who harms people to get ahead in their career, and then creates a worldview narrative that we are owed that promotion. So the question we should ask ourselves when we look at an image like this is, does your worldview flow from a life transformed by Jesus, or are you living backwards, making your view of the world conform to your behavior rather than the other way around? And I think this plays out very practically in three really specific areas of life, the areas of success, suffering, and raising children. So success, your worldview impacts how you respond to success in your life. And I imagine in a room like this and those that are watching, there's a lot of people out there who are successful. Many of us are very successful in life, our worldview influences how we think of success. What is the good life? Does success mean that you graduate from a top-notch college, that you get a high-paying job right out of school, and that you amass copia- copious amounts of retirement savings by the time you're 40? Now, I personally don't think those goals are bad or sinful. I mean, you know, it, you know if, if you want to achieve that, great. But does that, if you don't achieve that, does that mean you're not successful? Right? What if success is evaluated in terms of our faithfulness to the Lord and our generosity? Because you see, the narrative from the world that's out there is this. Everyone is owed success in a comfortable life. And this, this incorrect idea is, flows from the, the statement that people think the world owes us something. But if you look at the gospel narrative, the gospel says this everything we have comes from God. Therefore, any success I have is an opportunity to give glory to Him. Are you seeing the whole puzzle or just a piece? Second area suffering. This is worldview comes out really big in the area of of suffering, right? Because when bad things happen in your life, how will you respond? Your view of the world matters very, very much. And the cultural narrative is this. Nobody should suffer. Nobody should suffer. The incorrect idea that flows from is the narrative that says, if I suffer, God either does not exist or God does not love me. But again, the gospel tells a different story. It says God allows suffering for our good and to grow our faith. Now, if you look at it that way, that really changes how you respond when bad things happen. What does Paul say? Why does he say that being rooted in Christ results in thanksgiving? Because he knows everything we have flows from God. We're owed nothing. Are you seeing the whole puzzle picture or just a piece? And then the third area is raising children. Now, if you're a parent out there, you know children are are mirrors of our lives. What our kids uh, say, how our kids act, are ultimately a reflection of how we raised them. That's a terrifying and convicting statement at the same time. Because if you're a parent, you will have the greatest impact on your children's life, especially during their formative years. Many of us still say the axiomatic sayings that our parents taught us. We pass on our worldviews of success and suffering and money and relationships and family dynamics and church. We pass those things on to our children. Will they have a piece of the puzzle or the full picture of reality? Now, I think here perhaps the Amish could be instructive for us. Because you might have heard that the Amish, these traditional Christian groups, all think technology is bad. But that's actually not true. They're really just doing that something we all should be doing, and that is practicing discernment. So when an Amish community member is interested in using a new technology, what happens is the community comes together and asks whether it would be helpful or harmful to relationships in the community if we took that new technology in. They're, they're letting their worldview impact their behavior. In fact, in one case, a community member wanted to buy a hay bale to make his work more efficient. But the community came together and they wondered how that would affect relationships if workers no longer had to work with each other. Or another another Amish person wanted to run a propane gas into their family's bedroom so they could each have a light on at night. But then the community wondered whether that would separate the family in the evening where they'd previously shared uh, the evening together in the living room. And so they rejected both ideas, not because they didn't want to use technology, but because they saw how that technology would impact their family dynamics, So you and I might come to different conclusions than the Amish about certain technologies, but it would be wise for us to ask the same sort of question. Like, how will a smartphone, not a propane gas thing, or the social media app on my phone affect relationships within my home? Will my subscription to Disney Plus bring our family together or give us more reasons to live separate lives? See, the worldview impacts the behavior in this case. So you may be saying, okay, I get it, worldview matters, what do I do? Well, I believe, as a practical point before we leave this section, we need to start thinking worldviewishly. Think worldviewishly, right? Think, think, you know, what that means is that we evaluate everything we do, every message we hear or read in light of the Christian worldview. And believe me, like I've already said, worldview messages are coming at us all the time, every Everything you watch, everything you listen to, every advertisement you see, every news article you read, when you talk to friends, ask the question, what worldview am I being presented? What story is that movie saying? Because they are saying something. And does it match up with the Christian view of reality? So one more example before we leave. Um, I just finished streaming the show The Big Bang Theory. I missed it when it was on the air. I caught it later on. Um, I enjoyed it very much, but it did, I don't know if there's any fans out there, but it did put forth a lot of messages about science and religion and relationships and the meaning and nature of the universe. Some were true, others were not. For example, Sheldon's mother was a Bible-believing Christian who was portrayed as not as smart as him, right? Again, the natural was better than the supernatural, and of course, it spawned memes Like this one right here, you know, if you know the show, you know, Sheldon always thought he was right, so he says, you're wrong, but please tell me what you think anyway, right? Of course, this guy's supposed to be really smart, but he never got sarcasm like this next one shows you right here. My point is, we need to be discerning watchers, because worldviews are often caught like a cold. We take in messages, and if we're not careful, we don't, and we don't ask questions, we might develop bad ideas about life. So what is a worldview? A worldview is simply your picture of reality. But secondly, let's discuss where a worldview can lead us if we're not discerning. Where does the worldview lead? And again, this is where Paul's words to the Colossians are helpful. Because after reminding them to be rooted in Christ, he gives a very stern warning. He says this in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive Through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, this right here is really the key verse for this entire series. This verse is why worldview is so important. Because if we don't pay attention, we could easily be lured away, taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy. This begins a section in verses 8 to 15 where Paul is offering a strong rebuke against the false teachers at Colossae. He's warning the believers not to drift away into these bad ideas. And what does he say? He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Now, pause here. This is strong, strong language. There's urgency. There's passion in it. And the phrase, see to it no one, is Used several times in Paul's letters, and it always refers to a danger being faced. In other words, this verse right here is a flashing sign that says, danger, danger, danger. The second phrase "take you, take you cap-, that says, take you captive, shows the power that these ideas can have. And we can understand this, right? I mean, we live in, in a world of 30-second messages that are trying to capture our hearts quickly, to sink their teeth into us. And before we know it, we can be taken away and devoured by those ideas. How will you be taken captive? By hollow and deceptive philosophy. And you know what these philosophies are like. They're like fast food. These philosophies are like McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and yes, even Chick-fil-A. They might taste good going down, but the nutritional value is empty calories, even destructive that's what this philosophy is like. It's hollow. It leads to nowhere good. In fact, the term philosophy, this is the only time Paul uses this word in all of his writings, but, but it was a common word in the ancient world. In fact, some people believe that the problem in Colossae was philosophical rather than theological. In other words, there was a, there was a cultural narrative that was popular in Paul's day that was making inroads into the church. Not a specific theological problem, but still there were huge implications. And and so for us, we, we should ask, are there cultural narratives today that are making their way into the church, narratives that come from secular sources rather than Scripture? That seems to be what Paul is saying here, and it has worldview implications. Because these narratives, Paul says, are founded on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces, not Christ. And those forces could be, could be something like magic. Worldviews will ultimately lead you somewhere, and it might not be a good and true place. Now, the term for spiritual forces is, is the Greek word stoicheia, and it was used, listen to this, to describe personalized spiritual forces that had significant influence over the affairs of day-to-day experience. Do you see why worldview matters? Our beliefs affect our behavior on a day-to-day basis. Now, again, over the course of this series, what we're going to be doing is diving into some worldview comparisons and looking at the different stories of reality that are out there. Briefly today, I want to, I want to mention what I think is the most dominant narrative in our culture today, and that's the narrative of secular humanism. There's four key questions that every worldview narrative answers. Now, for our series, we're going to be looking at the ultimate questions of life, but all of them are answering these these key four questions, and they're the questions of where did I come from, why am I here, what's wrong with the world, and how can it be made right? So let's compare quickly secular humanism and how they answer the questions and what a biblical worldview would say. So the first question is where did I come from? How does secular humanism answer that? Well, secular humanism is based on a materialistic worldview. This worldview says that you and I, where do we come from? We came from evolutionary processes that occurred over billions of years on accident. And the implication is that the reason we're here is simply an accident. Science and the scientific process are arbiters of the truth. Scientists are the new priests in this worldview. Now, if you contrast that with the biblical worldview, what does it say? It says that you and I were created by a a personal God in his image out of love. We have a purpose for being here. And human beings are special, the pinnacle of creation. Could these worldviews collide and cause tension? You bet. Right, let me give you an example. Does anybody remember the story of Harambe the gorilla from a few years ago? Right, if you didn't know, Harambe was a 17-year-old silverback gorilla who was killed at the Cincinnati Zoo in 2016, which feels like a lifetime ago, when a toddler fell into his enclosure. Right, there's a video online, you can still look up, where Harambe is dragging the toddler through the water in the enclosure that's going to make any parent's heart jump right into their throat. So to save the child, the zookeepers decided they had to shoot the gorilla in order to save the child's life. Now, you might be saying, well, that's not even controversial. Why are we talking about it? And yet, you may remember, it was very interesting to see the cultural conversation after the fact. People thought this action shouldn't have been taken. In fact, there were even shirts that were created to commemorate the gorilla's death. Why? Because Harambe was an endangered species... In fact, some scientists argue that because there's plenty of human beings on the planet and because there were so few silverback gorillas, perhaps Harambe's life was more important than the child. Look at what Dr. Bron Taylor, a PhD at University of Florida, wrote in the Huffington Post at the time. He says this. This is long, but it's important. He says, some environmental philosophers and scientists, however, contend that an individual member of an endangered species is more valuable than an individual human being. Or as a conservation biologist, Reed Noss, put it to me recently, the value of an individual decreases with the size of its population. Do you see the worldview implications here? He says, our reactions to the value of humans and other animals are typically shaped by culturally deep religious roots. So it's religion that affects it. And then he says, and perhaps this case of Harambe's death will help those who are skeptical of the religious ideas that undergird human supremacy... To leave them behind once and for all, it may be that the corresponding conservation policies and efforts follow if such a value transformation spreads. And then, of course, he concludes this way. I hope that zoos will soon and universally be on the leading edge of this transformation rather than reinforcing ancient and self-serving human conceits. So do you catch what he's saying here? Right, Human beings are less valuable than the gorilla because there are more of us. Where would that have led? If you had that mindset, how would that have played out differently? Harambe and the toddler. Do you think there's a worldview issue here? Yes. Second question, why am I here? Well, in the view of secular humanism, because we're a product of evolutionary forces and we're here by accident, our main purpose here on earth is to consume and to enjoy, and so how does Paul summarize it now? He says, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Well, the, that worldview will lead to certain behaviors and the justification of some behaviors. By contrast, the biblical worldview tells us that we were created in God's image and we have dominion over the earth. We are, we are to seek the welfare of the city and human flourishing that brings glory to God and ultimately we are to tell people about Jesus so they can be saved. Will these worldviews lead to different places? Yes. Third question, what's wrong with the world? Now, this is a major question for the younger generation. All the statistical surveys tell us that young people are concerned with what is wrong with the world and they want to do something about it. Injustice, climate change, inequity, and in fact, a lot of those concerns are biblical concerns. But how does secular humanism define this problem? People are just not educated on the issues, right? Lack of education is what is wrong with the world. But the biblical view has a very different answer. It's the answer of human sinfulness. The world is broken because we have rebelled against our holy creator God, and we've attempted to usurp his authority and have decided, decided to live selfishly. Education won't, sa- won't save us. Only surrender to Jesus Christ, our true king, will. How do we we fix it? That's the last question. Well, I just told you, secular humanism says we just need more education. And when we are properly educated, we will do something about these problems, right? Now, I'm not saying education is bad, but it doesn't get to the core problem of the human heart. Only the biblical worldview takes us there. Only the biblical worldview gets us to the true story of reality. Because in that worldview, the solution to our problem is transformed hearts that are motivated by our true purpose, giving glory to God, loving our neighbors, and advancing his kingdom. And you know what? If you look at the course of the church history, you will know that every single revival in the, in the history of the world has a social component to it as well. In other words, when, lo- and when hearts are transformed, so is the world. And so again, do you see how these worldviews are in conflict? They answer the key worldview questions in entirely different ways, and they lead to entirely different places. Our, uh, one worldview has some pieces of the puzzle. The other worldview sees the whole picture of reality. They go to different places. What is a worldview? It's your picture of reality. Do worldviews lead somewhere? Yes, they do, but not always to the truth. So, my exhortation quickly as we finish today, and Paul's exhortation to the Colossians as well, is this we have to believe the better story. We have to believe the better story. And now, over the course of this series, we're going to answer these ultimate questions. We're going to give you t- tools on how to have conversations, but we also need to look at our own hearts and we need to ask Am I believing the better story? Has the gospel gripped my heart in such a way that it changes the way I interact with people, the way I handle my money, the way I look at success, what I teach my children? Do I truly have a Christian world view? Because when you do, it changes everything. Like, do you believe Colossians 2, 9, and 10, which says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Do you see what Paul is doing there? Next slide, please. He has just warned them about deceptive philosophies. Now he pivots and he tells them about the supremacy of Christ. In other words, he is saying, why would you even bother with those other worldviews that aren't true? Christ and Christ alone can offer what you seek in him You will find the answer to all of life's greatest questions. Only in Him will you discover where you came from because He made the world. Only in Him will you realize your purpose for being here because He has given you a mission. What's wrong with the world? People have rejected and rebelled against him. How do you fix the world? You recognize that he is the head over every power, over every authority. He is our ruler. He is our king. We bow our knees before him. We die to our flesh and we receive life. That is the better story, the story we were meant to live And so Paul lays it out in the climax of the section. In verse 13, he says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of us our sins, having canceled the charge of legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross. So church, if you are a follower of Christ, that is your story. You were dead. Christ made you alive. You were his enemy because of your sin and rebellion, but he forgave you and redeemed you. How? He went to the cross. He took on our condemnation. He paid the penalty for our sins. He canceled our debt. And then he disarmed the spiritual forces that infect this world. In fact, he publicly shamed them and rose victorious. This is the better story that all good stories point to. That's the gospel. It is a countercultural worldview but it's the only worldview that explains everything. It's the only worldview that answers all of life's questions. It's the only worldview that completes the puzzle so you can see the full picture of reality. But in order to see it, you need to ask Christ to open your eyes so that you can see all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so again, over the course of this series, we hope to tell this better story, and by doing so, to disarm the false beliefs that may have taken hold in our hearts. Do you believe the true story of reality? So as we conclude today, I just want to ask you, has this story changed you? I mentioned at the beginning of the message, I believe many Christians don't have and don't live out a Christian view of the world Our hearts and our minds have been infected by false narratives from the culture, narratives that we have ingested without even knowing it. Movies and music and news and advertisement and friends, they all play a role. But my point is this. When you have a true Christian worldview, it changes the way you live. You make different choices. You look weird to people, right? But weird is good. (laughs) The true story of reality tells us we are from... And we are made for a different world. So here's your homework over the summer. I'm going to give you two things today. The first thing is this. You need to start a journal. And every day, spend five to ten minutes and reflect on all the messages you heard that day. What did you watch? What did you read? What did you hear? And ask yourself, do those things match up with a Christian view of reality? And then second, you have to begin a conversation. Because this series, yes, is meant for you to reflect but it's also meant for you to act. Don't be afraid to ask someone, why do you believe that? Or why do you act that way? And start to observe the answers people give. Because eventually, as we equip you, you'll be able to take that conversation deeper and point those you influence to the story of reality. Let me invite the worship team to come on stage. They're going to do one song before communion. And as they come, I would just say my prayer is that both we and the people we love will no longer have puzzle pieces scattered on the floor but a finished product that points people to Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge Amen. because in Christ we will find that true story of reality because only he can tell it let's pray heavenly father thank you so much for your goodness and your grace lord um Father, thank you for your word, your revealed truth. Thank you for uh, Jesus Christ, who you have given for us, that you have saved us because of his sacrifice. Lord, all of us are asking questions about life, the big questions, and we're all giving answers to them, Lord God. But help us, motivate us, pull us back to the, the revealed truth that you give us in your word and in your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice And thank you for telling that better story. Help us to believe that today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.